you want to get in on the action, we want to hear from you. Email us at faderoutemail at gmail.com with your questions, comments, picks, segment suggestions, you name it. We want to hear from you. We're on Instagram too. Slide in our DMs at Fade Route Podcast. Get at us. Welcome to the Fade Route with D and Z. Here are your hosts, D and Z. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Fade Route with DNZ. I am Z, and once again, there's a storm brewing here in Colorado. Looks like we're going to get about eight inches of snow today and into tomorrow. And there's a storm brewing in the NHL, specifically in New York, as star winger for the New York Rangers, Artemi Panarin, has taken a leave of absence from the team endorsed by the team so it is not uh it's not like he went AWOL or anything like that after some allegations came to light from a KHL coach who alleged that he witnessed Artemi Panarin commit assault when he was 19 years old so we're talking 10 years ago. This story is 10 years old. Allegedly, 19-year-old Artemi beat up an 18-year-old girl in a bar. Now, this is, you know, this is devastating news and it should not be taken lightly. However, sometimes you do need to consider the source and this is one of the situations where politics and sports kind of weave their way together and make a patchwork tapestry of something that looks rather unseemly and smells about as much as well. The coach is a noted backer of Russian President Vladimir Putin and Artemi Panarin is vocally anti-Putin. So... Recently, he made comments voicing his displeasure with the Putin regime and how things go down in Russia. And then all of a sudden, this story surfaces that's 10 years old. And the, the, the timing of it, the optics of it, it all stinks to high heaven. The Rangers are backing Panarin. The NHL is backing Panarin. And the KHL, the primary hockey league in Russia, has also weighed in on this statement, uh, saying that they have no idea what the hell this coach is talking about. They have no evidence that such an incident occurred, and they, for the life of them, have no idea what he's talking about. So, it's one of those situations where politics, and specifically your right to free speech can sometimes get you in a little bit of hot water. Um, you think back to Enos Cantor when he was very vocal regarding President Erdogan of Turkey and he was basically can never go back to Turkey ever again. You wonder if Artemi Panarin is in that boat right now. And it's a murky situation to say the least, especially 
when you take into account that it could be life or death if that ever occurs. And here he is. I've known this guy since our days on Carousel Shoes. Flight crew through and through. The last QB in St. John's history. What's up, D? How's it going, man? Hey, uh, you know, it's just sad to hear things like this, especially down the line. Uh, promising young player. Uh may or may have made a mistake when he was 18 or 19 years old uh, it just smells kind of fishy especially when you see all these people coming to defend him saying they never heard of this they they never they never knew anything about it um you're always skeptical when things like this come to light so many years later mm-hmm. um it's not like espn was sitting on the story for a couple of years but you know you just hope it's not true um and hope that during the leave He's able to sort it out, able to get things right, come back to play hockey. I mean, he's a young guy, you know, not not definitely not approving what he did if he did it, but, you know, it's just kind of hard to hold people accountable given the cloudiness of the circumstances. Totally, absolutely. And considering the source, you do have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but, um, they are, he is letting the situation resolve itself. They're investigating and they're determining whether or not this actually did happen. So that is the right course to, to take in a situation like this. You don't want to, you know, you don't want it to be a constant situation where you are, you know, you're having to defend yourself on a daily basis, plus mentally prepare for hockey and, be physically at your best for hockey. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's a smart thing to do and it's definitely a heavy situation, but you got, you know, we're, we're a sports show at the end of the day. We don't want to keep it a little bit light. So let's talk about the Rangers for a little bit and what they can do to kind of, to kind of mitigate his absence because he is the best player on their team. So you know, Mika Zibanejad, the uncrowned captain, he for one definitely <laughs> needs to step up. I mean, this is the two. This is two seasons now. He should have. Been, he should be wearing the captaincy. And it's ridiculous that the Rangers are not uh, awarding him that captaincy. But he definitely needs to step up. It's been more of a pass-first kind of year for Mika, and he definitely needs to start burying some some goals and scoring. Uh, Chris Kreider has two goals tonight. Granted. As of right now, they are losing to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, it's the second intermission. They are losing four to two. And, you know, you, you need contributions throughout the team. And this isn't the first bit of controversy that's happened this year with New York Rangers. We didn't even mention the, the Tony D'Angelo situation where he allegedly got into a physical altercation with Alexander Georgiev, the backup goaltender, and has a history, a history of physical abuse of teammates and also again politics intersecting he was he is a vocal Donald Trump supporter and that is what that is but one should not mean you know I'm a Trump supporter that means I assault my teammates one should not have anything to do with the other so the Rangers when they got him said they were very comfortable with bringing him in that these situations occurred in junior hockey and then all of a sudden they reared their ugly heads again and he's been banished from the team. Like they haven't released him, they haven't traded him. They keyshawned his ass. So 
it may, it's very interesting to see where the Rangers go from here, but it, it definitely has not been without controversy this season. I mean, we have a small sample size. We're what almost 20 games in most teams playing 16, 17, 18 games. Uh, you you kind of, unless they get on a hot streak, this is what they're going to be. They're a 500 team. I think they're plus two in the point in the goal differential. Uh, Bruins are Kings. I mean, they're, they're, they're plus 15. They're killing everybody. Uh, they've, they've definitely come to play this year. Capitals playing well, Penguins playing well, Islanders, uh, you know, they're, they seem to be on the rise. I think one thing the Rangers can hang their hat on is they're on a two game win streak. Probably they probably it looks like they're going to lose tonight, but hover around 500, try to make a surge towards the end of the year. And, you know, it just, it seems like the Stanley cup was so many years ago for them. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just getting there against the Kings like that. That feels like a lifetime ago. Never mind winning it in 94. Like 94 is, you know, no, I'm have, just, we, yeah, yeah, I'm no, talking about actually getting there in between now. And then. <laughs> so, you know, Sam Rosen had a great line. He said, "This one will, this one will last a lifetime. It's going to have to last a lifetime at this point in time. It's ridiculous." Damn but you, they've Sam. Been close. They've been, they've been close. They've been on. Damn you, Sam. Hundred percent. They've been close. They've been on the rise. You thought when they went through the the quick rebuild after tearing it down after ta- after trading guys like Nash and Hayes that they'd be on the come a little bit faster, but. You know, sometimes this happens with young teams, and we need to keep in mind that the Rangers are a very young team. So, like, the Artemi Panarin signing accelerated people's expectations, myself included. When you have a 40-goal a scorer coming to your team and calling his shot saying, I want to come to you, you know, you kind of, you know, you kind of think bigger than what the situation is in front of you, but... Ultimately, I they're still rebuilding. I like where they're going. Lafreniere's been playing well. The younger guys have been playing well. Capo Caco can definitely uh, can use a little bit more seasoning, definitely can score more. But, you know, the top four teams in each division make the playoffs. So all they got to do, like you said, is kind of hover around, get hot. Defensively, they're a very stout team. So that's one thing that you can hang your hat on. Defensively, the Rangers are rather solid, considering the fact that their head defensive coach went to the New Jersey Devils in the bubble. Uh, Lindy Ruff left the team in the bubble to go take the job in Jersey. Yeah, thanks, Lindy. Fuck you. Anyway, um, despite the fact that they've had to deal with that, you know, they they have done very well defensively offensively they're going to need a little bit more depth and whether that means a deadline move or that means you know just gotta you just gotta put a team concept together you gotta shuffle some lines maybe whatever that takes whatever that takes coach quinn now's your time you got to do a little bit of coaching buddy it's time for the fading where we give a nod to the trending sports stories of the week Yeah, I mean, the NHL players, uh, teams are pretty much a full go at this point. Everyone's lobbying to get better. The football season ended two weeks ago now, and the Indianapolis Colts felt they can get better by trading for Carson Wentz. Uh, Deal included a third round and a conditional second round. So who won the trade, the Colts or the Eagles? 
Well, it's conditionally the Colts. Now, here's why it's conditionally. We, you need to go into the machinations around that conditional second round pick. It can become a first round pick if Carson Wentz either A, plays 75% of his snaps or 70% and the Colts make the playoffs. So this is the Indianapolis Colts as presently constructed are a playoff team, but I think some teams will come back to the pack. Most, some teams do. It's, you know, it's the NFL. You're constantly having that situation where teams are bubbling up and some teams are stepping back and they can definitely make the playoffs with Carson Wentz. Yeah, I what mean, I this... find interesting though is that Anthony Costanzo retired, so you're actually getting some you're actually getting some issues with that offensive line now, and that could spell a little bit of doom for Carson Wentz. But conditionally, right now, I'm saying the Colts have won that trade. Yeah, I mean, the Colts uh, went up against Buffalo last year in the playoffs, played a really good game, really within one score of winning. Phillip Rivers had a really good season. I mean, what we're talking about right now is can Carson Wentz play as good or as better or better than Phillip Rivers did last year? And I think the answer to that question is yes. They have everything in, in position there to succeed, and he doesn't have to do it all. They have a really good running game. They have three backs that can run the ball. The wide receivers are okay, but you would assume that they're going to address that with all the cap space they have in free agency. They can mm-hmm. go out there and get a Godwin. They can go out there and get an Antonio Brown. They can go out there and get players. Defensively, they were run the top in the league of defense. So I thought I thought this was a good trade from the standpoint of the Colts. It's not like they really they needed to, to – they didn't need that third-round pick or they don't really need that second-round pick to get a top-tier player. They're ready. And as for Philly, I think they got the most out of the deal that they could. In fact, you, one might even argue that the Colts overplayed for this player. But compared to what the Rams gave up for Stafford, this was this was great. You know, this was this was fine. Um, and he gives Philly the opportunity to try out Jalen Hurts this year. And if it doesn't work out, you can use that Colts pick next year to take a quarterback. I don't think they should waste their pick this year on a quarterback. I think they have uh, other areas to address, but uh, I like the move for both teams. I think both teams got a, you know, got what they wanted in the deal, but hats off to the Colts because they're going to contend. I could even argue that Wentz could make himself an MVP candidate with this team with Frank, really? Wright, With Frank, Wright, Um, going, getting, all the stress. I mean, come on. Every day this man was showing up for work, he had to see a statue of Nick Foles. I mean, come <laughs> on. Like, how how much does that wear on you? And then you're trying – you could see he was pressing last year. You could see he was trying to do too much. Let's not forget, before this guy got hurt, he was an MVP candidate. Like, he was a guy that was on his way to winning the MVP award. He's got a Super Bowl ring. Yes, he didn't so-called win it, but he has the ability to play at a high level. And there, they've shown that they could uh, – you know, an old man Rivers can get us to the first round of the playoffs. Wentz – could definitely do as good or better. Well, absolutely. I mean, he is younger. He's more mobile. He's got a, at this point in his career, he has a better arm than what Philip Rivers gave you. That's for sure. That's a given. But 
the biggest the biggest ability is availability, and Carson Wentz has not been available. So they definitely need to. I mean, this was a smart move. It was a shrewd shrewd move. It definitely blows up what you think the blueprint deals are going to be because everybody was like, oh, the Matthew Stafford deal is going to be the blueprint for what needs to happen for these kind of quarterback trades. And then the Colts and Eagles are like, no, yeah. not particularly. Yeah. No, not at all. No. Yeah. But I think they definitely – the Eagles, I don't know what's going on with them. They're in a total rebuild mode right now. I mean, you're not giving Jalen Hurts any – additional help unless you're drafting guys, but then that's going to be a very young receiver core. You cut Deshaun Jackson, you cut Alshon Jeffrey, you know, you're, you're setting up for, you're setting up for a little bit of hurt, no pun intended in Philly, but for the Colts, they definitely need to invest in a quality backup quarterback. So, you know, whether that's bringing Jacoby Brissett back, whether that is, you know, bringing in Josh, bringing in a Josh McCown or a Ryan Fitzpatrick as McCown. He's the most unretired, retired guy I've ever seen. Like in the middle of the year, he just showed up at the Texans and he was just there. So <laughs> at any given point, I mean, an ex, a guy with experience, a guy who can play, one will push Wentz. And then two, if God forbid anything happens to him, the Colt, he can step, they, the Colts will have somebody who's ready to step right in and they can continue moving forward. So well, I here's, that's the way to go. Well, I mean, here's the thing is you can't mess with this guy's psyche right now. Okay. You can't, you can't bring in a guy that's going to compete with him. You want to bring in a guy that can hold the clipboard and, and come in for him on occasion. Yes. You can't bring in someone to compete him. You gotta really take it easy with this kid. And the other thing you're going to do is he needs to play. As bad as he plays, he needs to play because you need that conditional pick. So you're going to play him. Even if he's throwing more interceptions than uh, uh, touchdowns, even if his completion percentage is terrible, even if you're losing, he's got to play next year. And you're going to find out what he is, you know. We're going to find out if Reich, if Frank Reich is the answer. And the the deal is comfortable enough where you can keep him for the next two or three years, and if it doesn't work out, you move on. Like I know you said, Costanzo's gone, and, and yes, this that's that's a vital part of that line. They still have Quentin Nelson, who is arguably one of the best first round picks um, in the in the last you know five years of the NFL draft. So he's an anchor. They're going to be fine, uh, and I think everyone is going to get what they want out of this. Speaking of teams that are going to get what they want and players that are get what, going to get what they want out of this, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger have mutually agreed to restructuring his contract. So the, the cap hit is not $41.5 million. <laughs> so bully for you on that, guys. Terms have not been discussed yet. They've not been released yet. We don't know if they have, you know, if they've agreed to a number yet. But both sides are committed to that. However, however, with the number of unrestricted free agents that the Steelers have and the salary cap issues that they have, wouldn't they just be better off tearing it down? You know, we were talking about this a lot the last couple of days, right? Because we just weren't sure what was going to happen with Big Ben. I mean, I, I got to be honest. On Monday, I thought he was going to get cut. I thought they were going to be like, you know what? You know, we're done with this. We're ready to move on. We've got two quarterbacks on the roster that, you know, we can get by with. We can draft 
uh, a Mac Jones or or somebody else this year and and you know start to rebuild the team with top end wide receivers because their wide receivers are good. They're a little young, but they're good. Uh, then on Tuesday yesterday, I thought he was going to retire. I thought, okay, this is it for Ben. Like he's going to just say, okay, I'm done. I, I don't know if it's the fact that Breeze looks like he's coming back and Tom is still playing that he really thinks he can play, but uh, it seems like it seems like he's uh, he's wanting to give it another go. And then the last thing I thought was, you know, he today before the news broke that he was going to restructure his deal, I thought he might get traded. I thought so. I thought they might be able to to get him off their books, figure out somewhere where he wanted to go, maybe finish up just like, just kind of like Phil Rivers did. I know Phil Rivers wasn't traded, but you know, kind of that situation, give him a proper send off. Uh, and that's just not the case. And I don't know what they're going to restructure this thing to be. I mean, he's got to come down by what, at least half to make this thing worth it. So is he, is he really going to just take $20 million to play next year? And how many games is he really going to play? I mean, we saw at the end of last year, it was, it was awful. Like he could barely get through halves. He, you know, he, he, the, 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 the arm strength was going. He, the accuracy was off. He was taking too long in the pocket. We talked about this in our production meeting. Pouncey's gone. Who's going to mm-hmm. protect him? So I think this is if they if they really go forward with thinking he's going to be their starting quarterback this year. This is going to spell the end for the Pittsburgh Steelers and maybe the end for Mike Tomlin. Well, I'm just going to rattle off some names of guys that are UFAs this year. All right. You, you ready for this? I'm ready. Psyched. Bud Dupree. Alejandro Villanueva. Avery Williamson. Matt Feeler, the right tackle. Mike Hilton. Tyson Alualu. Juju. Jordan Berry, the punter. Cassius Marsh. Uh, let's go Cameron Sutton, James Connor. You can't pay all these guys. That guy. So like that guy, but I mean, this is, that's dire, man. And good for Ben Roethlisberger to cut down. I, I mean, there were reports that he would take the veterans minimum to kind of alleviate some of the cap burden, but that's your team right there. Like those are impact players. And you can't replace them all overnight. And you can't re-sign them all unless everybody's taking a very team-friendly contract. So, I don't know. I think they were just better off blowing it up and then starting from scratch. And that is not even including uh, Marquise Pouncey. So, Who left? Like, there's going to be a lot of change in Pittsburgh, man. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't think it's going to cost Mike Tomlin his job. I think they're going to give him a little bit to try and – rebuild and try and rewrite the ship it wasn't necessarily his doing this is on the gm and i think the gm might his days might be numbered if they have a subpar season in pittsburgh well in in all honesty this wasn't a gm decision right this came from our rooney the second uh who pretty much gave ben the option he considers ben family ben ben's been there for so long and he feels like he deserved the right to decide his own future. So uh, I guess that's okay. I mean, he did what? He brought them the three Super Bowls and he won two. So it's fair. It's just that, you know, take this with the understanding of, of what you could be doing to the team. Uh, like you said, you got a lot of guys going out the door. I'm not sure what their cap space looks like, but it's, yeah, it's pretty dire because of Ben, essentially. Uh, right. So, 
So I just, you know, as long, if you go into this saying, all right, we're going to do this for Ben, kind of like we're going to do this for John Elway. Okay, that's fine, but understand that it could go, it could backfire because he's not John Elway. I mean, he's good, but he's not John Elway. I know a lot of people like to think about him as, you know, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I'm not, uh, Ben's definitely a Hall of Famer, but he's not John Elway. No, he's not John Elway. And you know who, another guy who isn't John Elway, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> so he's entering his fifth year. The Browns are committed to picking up his fifth year option which is a smart decision based on last year. Like he definitely not only showed you the maturity of the position, but also maturity as a leader and got the Browns into the playoffs. So big picture thinking here, should the, should the Browns extend him or let it play out and then do it? Yeah. I mean, I'm of the house of, they should just let it play out and then do it. And one of the reasons why is Baker Mayfield's good. I don't think he's number one, overall number one pick good, but he's good. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen. Those are the guys you're going to try to look to extend, right? Uh, I think with Baker, especially with the cap going down, you want to see how this plays out. Definitely. And the, the good thing for Baker Mayfield is that he's good for this team. That like He... He's excited to be there. He wants to be there. And he's performed. I mean, he definitely well, I mean, granted, he, he has yeah. career 75 touchdowns to 43 picks. So it's, you know, his numbers are there. He's deserving of that extension. But, you know, you definitely need to see more of him because this is the first step forward. You need to know if it's going to come with that step back that Cleveland – and young quarterbacks are known for. So I would be very cautious if I was Cleveland. Surround him with as much talent as you can. Keep moving in the right direction. And if he does take a step back, you revisit it. But if he takes that step forward, then you have to see what kind of contract he's going to command and what kind of money he's going to want. Because, you know, everybody, like, let's think about this. Like Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan – Joe Flacco, what do these all got? What do these guys all have in common? At one point, they were mediocre quarterbacks that were the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, would you, if you had the GM hat on, if you were the GM of the Browns, would and Baker Mayfield comes to you and say, "I want to be the best. I want to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL." Like, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I was laughing in the face. Yeah, uh, I. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say uh, I'm not sure about that one, Bake Show. Uh, you know, just just given the history of the Browns and given the history of, you know, the position, you know, you just don't know. And, and at the end of the day, they're really a running football team, right? I mean, that's their bread and butter is we're going to play defense and run the ball and we're going to efficiently pass the ball around the, you know, the bound the field. They can get another Baker Mayfield. I'm not. I'm not saying that quarterbacks are a dime a dozen, but he doesn't do anything that that screams at me. Oh man, we got to lock this guy up. Man, we got to make sure that he goes nowhere. Right? He he hasn't he hasn't shown that. Right? Think about yeah. I mean, think about Justin Herbert. Like we watched him play last year. And like whoa, that guy can throw it. That guy can run it. He's on a bad team, but damn, that is talent. I don't see that when I see Baker Mayfield. I see a guy who's good and, you know, he, he's good. 
And I think that the idea is, is you're going to let the market settle too. You know, you want to see what those other guys that were drafted with him get as well, because he can't get the Josh Allen dollars. Right. No. And then he hasn't performed for it. Right. And then, well, Josh Rosen's out of the league. Uh, uh, Sam Darnold. I think Josh Rosen got a ring, didn't he? He was the third string in Tampa Bay. No, no, he got he no no he got signed over. Um, didn't he, he? Did he go? No, he didn't go to Tampa Bay because what's uh Bruce Arians was his coach. I think he went to one of the Florida teams. I think he not Florida. I think he went to uh, the Rams. Didn't he go to the Rams? Look this up. Oh, right now he's on the Niners. Yeah, he's on the, he's on the Niners. I knew he okay, went to one of the he went to one of those West teams. So. So yeah, I mean, if I'm if I'm the if I'm the GM and Baker wants to be the highest paid guy, I, I kind of laugh it off and uh, and move it on down and say, well, we'll Get see what happens. Sweet Josh Rosen money. Right, right, because you can't. <laughs> that's the other thing is like you you're not he's not going to set the mark. Josh Allen's going to set the bar, and then you got Lamar Jackson, ha, and this guy. So mm-hmm. yeah, so and so that's that's where it stands with him. Well, you, you know, I mean, Baker Mayfield's just kind of like a guy, and they definitely – I mean, that's what the franchise tag is for. You know, it's the, the – you don't want to commit long-term, but you need a quarterback. So, I mean, I could definitely see them, you know, franchising Baker Mayfield. And the franchise tag is – well, the window is open now, so we're definitely going to keep an eye on that. And whenever you hear the franchise tag, you automatically start to think about Dak Prescott because – they still have yet to commit to him in Dallas. So it makes you wonder, like, is he long for Dallas? Like, what is Dak's future with the Cowboys, if any? Yeah, I really feel like Dallas messed this up, but they have a chance to fix it. And I think the way they fix it is you trade him. You can't, you can't sign him to a long-term deal at this point because you just don't know what you're getting back. I'm not saying the guy can't play anymore. But he had a serious injury, and you just don't know how he's going to respond. The second part is, is you, you know, your line has fallen apart. A lot of those guys that were Pro Bowlers and and big time linemen, they're 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 not as good as they were five years ago or even three years ago. And now, you know, you're going to have to find a way to fill those voids. The other the other idea is the salary cap's going to be lower. So you can't franchise him again. You can't do that. You can't pay this guy, what would it probably be $37, $38 million just for a season? Meanwhile, he did they, they franchise the last year. He only played in five games. So my idea is you get on the phone to Denver. You say, give me Drew Locke and two first-rounders. I'll give you Dak Prescott. John Elway gets the quarterback that he's he's been longing for. Since Peyton Manning left, he can sign him to a long-term deal and call it a day. You always like to bring up Denver when it comes to quarterback trading. <laughs> it's because scenarios. you live it's there. Like, <laughs> it's because I live here, and they haven't had a good quarterback since John Elway. So, yeah. I actually like um, Drew Locke. Drew Locke's not bad. He's definitely not bad. And Same thing with Dak Prescott. He's not bad. Like as That's the best compliment I can give Dak Prescott. You're not bad. Are you $38 million good? No. 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 Absolutely not. So I'm with you. I think that you definitely need to trade this guy. And 
where we differ is the location. And you're, you know, you're Mr. Denver when it comes to I'm in Denver and he's Mr. Denver in terms of trading people. How come you don't want to ever trade people here, man? (laughs) I'm always sending you players. You don't send any players to me. Well, that's because you got the. I mean, New York is pretty well set right now in terms of who they don't. I mean, you got that Sam Darnold, man. Like you, Dak Prescott for Sam Darnold, straight up. No, but um, there's one and a cup of coffee. And a cup of coffee. I take it black, extra large, please. But um, there is one owner that I think Jerry Jones can actually take advantage of in this market, and that is David Tepper the new owner of the Carolina Panthers. He is desperate to get in on the quarterback situation. He's willing to trade Christian McCaffrey for Deshaun Watson. He's just going to shoot your team in the foot, and it's not going to be pretty because you took your best player off the team, you replaced him with Deshaun Watson, and now he feels like he's in Houston again. In this situation, I think you can actually trade for Dak Prescott and you get to keep Christian McCaffrey. So you can actually build something moving forward. And it wouldn't take that much, really. I mean, maybe I would do, first of all, I would do Teddy Bridgewater because that would be a little enticing for Jerry Jones, right? I get my starting quarterback. He's already signed. I don't have to worry about that situation again. He's, he's able to manage an offense. And let's be real here. That team should be all about Ezekiel Elliott anyway. Like, that team should be a run-first offense, the way that Ezekiel Elliott performs. Teddy Bridgewater and maybe a conditional fourth that could become a third, similar to the Carson Wentz situation. If Dak Prescott can stay healthy, you know, it, it can change. But I wouldn't do more than that. And I think that he would do – I think he would thrive pretty well in that kind of situation. I think Teddy Bridgewater would do well in Dallas, too. So it's one of those rare situations where you could definitely it would definitely work out for both teams if such a situation was looked into. And then what you think Dallas drafts a quarterback in that situation? Because I think they have what like the tenth pick, right? They do have the tenth overall so pick. Do they, and so they? I would I would think I would do that. I wouldn't do like the Trey Lances of the world. I wouldn't do the Zach Wilsons. I would do Mac Jones of Alabama. This guy is play in a pro style system. He's as ready to go as you're going to get. And a year behind Teddy or year or two behind Teddy Bridgewater would do him some good. You learn under a professional, how to play professional quarterback. What about Kyle Trask? He's good too. I wouldn't be, that would be, you know, if, if uh, Mac Jones wasn't available, I don't think he's too bad. At, at 10 though. I don't know if that would be, I might be a stretch at 10, but Kyle Trask did. I mean, he, he did have a good season last year, but I think that might be a little bit of a stretch at 10. Yeah. Mac Jones, I think would be a better, yeah, I, if he's still on the yeah, board, I think, if he's not on the board, then all bets. Are yeah. Right. I think, I mean, and if you're Dak, it's not, it's not a bad situation. Last year, all the Panthers did was draft defensive players. So you got to imagine the defense is going to get better. You have Christian McCaffrey, who is up there with Zeke, right? I mean, he's a he's a, yep. he's a very good running back, uh, very uh, uh, stout player, very very versatile player. Um, your receivers are a little challenging, but they can they can go out there and get receivers. They can go sign a receiver. They can go grab a receiver. I don't think it's a bad idea, but one thing's for sure: franchising him is not the answer. No, not at all. Not especially with the cap. Uh, with the cap going down 
and him getting paid $38 million. That's just, that's just, just don't franchise amazing amount of just don't franchise quarterbacks. It just doesn't work out. I mean, I think, I think the no. whole Kirk Cousins situation should have taught everybody a lesson in the franchise and quarterbacks. It's just not a good idea. I mean, you either like the guy or you don't like the guy. If you like the guy, sign him and keep right. him. If you don't like him, trade him or let him go. I, I it's not it's not a hard concept. It's also two sides of the same coin too. Uh, Kirk Cousins decided to bet on himself and take the franchise tag again, and then he outplayed his performance. Whereas Dak Prescott did the same thing, and he his ankle popped out of his socket. So that's the risk you take with the franchise scenario. So. You know, I mean, it's one of those things that you hope that Dak Prescott is healthy and ready to prove his worth, but he's definitely run his course in Dallas. Otherwise, they would have signed him long term. Well, the writing's on the wall. Well, I mean, I definitely think, you know, Dak is actually in the driver's seat, right? I mean, he has everything to prove. Uh, The Dallas, I think, is the team that their ownership are the ones in trouble because they're stuck making a, a tough situ, a tough decision. You know, they worry that if they let this guy go and he winds up becoming a Hall of Famer for another franchise. The other problem is, is you worry about getting nothing for him. Right. So, like, if he does play out his contract and then he just leaves, like, that's the last thing you want. Right. You're not going to let him just walk out the door. And that's the whole thing. It's like if I'm Dak, I don't want to make a deal either. I'm not. I'm going to hold out as long as I can unless you give me the crazy amount of years and the crazy dollars I want because you know what? If I show up this year and I play my heart out, I'm getting paid next year. You are going to get a a shit ton of money, and that's true. But it's the worst time for him to come off an injury because it does give the team a little bit of leverage to say that you need to be on to make good deal. Like, you need to show us that you are healthy enough and worthy enough of this contract. We know what you've done in the past. That's before your leg exploded. <laughs> so, exactly. So, you need to show us that you're healthy and capable of playing again. It's, it would be, it's almost a similar situation. It's a different scenario completely, but, you know, it would be like as if Alex Smith didn't have the big contract. He was playing on that contract, and all of a sudden, his leg. <laughs> did what it did exactly his tibia and his tibia you know just exploded and he's now out of the league for two years so it's one of those things need it it was a gruesome injury he needs to prove that he can actually play a little bit so i don't know he's he's both sides are in a little bit of a pickle right now so they may need each other a little bit more than we're letting on speaking of letting on who knew that the Brooklyn Nets would have been able to sweep the West Coast with victories over the Clippers, the Suns, the Lakers, and the Warriors? With a couple in there as well with the, with the Kings. But the Queens. They did it without. Ne- oh, Sacramento Queens. Oh, it's just. Oh, we miss Shaq. Oh, Shaq. Good to, good to hear from you, my friend. But, um, yeah, who would have thought that they would have been able to do that without Kevin Durant, who missed all of those games? I personally didn't think so. What say you? Uh, it was surprising, and it wasn't surprising. I'm, I mean, the Lakers don't have Anthony Davis. Golden State still doesn't have Clay. The Clippers game was very close. It came really down to one possession. But the fact that they didn't have Durant and they still won was pretty impressive. 
Um, the Lakers are one in five in their last six games without AD. So they're not really playing so well. Um, it really came down to the last play against the Clippers. Kawhi gets called for an offensive foul, which uh, it's called by the ref underneath the basket who can't even see what is happening in front of him, which was awful. Uh, on the trip, Harden moved over to point guard. Kyrie's playing the shooting guard now. Kyrie's just he's like a magician out there. He looks so good. Um, you know, it's they're just, they're just tough to beat. They're really tough to beat because you got to score a lot of points to beat them. That's true. They do have they do score a lot of points. The problem is that they're also giving up a lot of points. And the lowest amount that they gave up on their road trip was 98 to the Lakers without Anthony Davis. So if you're looking at it, it's 108, 98, 124, 125, 117. That is not sustainable for a playoff run. For a five-game stretch over with five different teams, yeah, absolutely, you can definitely overcome that. But the same team five times, I you need to be better than that. And granted, they will have Kevin Durant for the long run. What's very interesting to me is the dynamic shift in that Kyrie Irving is going to play off the ball and James Harden is going to distribute it. When it, What's interesting is that that's the exact opposite of what they were <laughs> right, originally right. going to do. So it's like, you know... It's very well. Good job, I guess. Uh, Coach Irving and Coach Harvin got together. Harden got together with uh, Coach Nash there, and uh, you know whoever was running the show that week said, uh, "We're going to try this, and we're going to see if it works. We throw it against the wall and see if it sticks." And as of right now, it's sticking very well. And they were able to do it without the real adult in the room, without Kevin Durant. So that is impressive. Granted, I mean, right now they're twenty-one and twelve. They're on a seven-game winning streak, like. Things are looking good for the Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just quite impressive uh, the dynamic of that team and how much of an impact uh, DeAndre Jordan is. I mean, he they throw him lobs. He grabs 13, 12, 13 boards sometimes. He's very uh, he's very involved in their offense. He's a rim protector on defense. But man, James Harden is just. It's unbelievable. If anybody thought what he was doing in Houston was just because he was in Houston, it's not true. And you almost look back and you're like, wow, I mean, this guy was on the thunder. Like, imagine if Sam Pressy kept, you know, Harden, Westbrook, and Durant together. Was Durant, was Westbrook really the problem? Is it, is, was he the only person that they really just needed to get out and bring in somebody else for that team? to succeed because it's looking like, you know, Kyrie is really the difference there. Yeah. I mean, it is very interesting that, you know, if you look at Westbrook and you see what's happened to every team he's been on, they, you know, they have not performed up to the expectations that people have for them. And you can say that the similar with Kyrie too, without another star to play off of. Fortunately for him, he has two stars to play off of now, so he doesn't necessarily need to be that guy. So each one of them, building the big three, each one of them will complement each other in such a way that it takes the load off of them, and it definitely helps in the long run. But it, it is very interesting, though, how quickly like James Harden 
was able to turn it back on. So it's it's very it, it shows the greatness of him, but also kind of the selfishness of it in the same regard because it's like really you, you're telling me that your kind of performances that you're doing now could not have elevated the Houston Rockets. I find that hard to believe. A, a rising tide floats all boats, and other the other players would have played better around him. Like that's well, I'm looking forward to you know some 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 tests that they have coming up in March. I really want to see them play the Celtics. Uh, at the end of March, they have a really good matchup against the Jazz in Utah. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that game plays out. Well, they have a good track record against good teams. Yeah, so I, I definitely want to see how they will perform on that. But, you know, that's the thing. They got to they gotta clean up their performances against the lower-tier teams. I find that very interesting. They play up to the level of their competition. They play down to their level of competition. So, you know, granted, in the playoffs, they're going to be playing upper echelon teams. So if they're, you know, if they're world beaters now, I mean, that trend is sure to continue. So I guess bully for you. Speaking of bully for you, the 2021 All-Star Game released their starters, and it's a pretty good list. I mean, the two captains were LeBron James and Kevin Durant. LeBron, the star shocker, I know. I mean, I was I was waiting for uh, John Scott to come back the year that the uh, the NHL gave the fan voting, and John Scott won the uh, All Star captaincy. So good job there. But um, as predictable as ever, LeBron chose Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, and Luka Doncic as his starters, and Kevin Durant has Giannis, Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, and Kyrie Irving as his starters for his team a noticeable omission from the western conference all-stars one damian lillard now he does have better stats than luca and Kawhi leonard but strangely enough they're starting and he's not so is dame time <laughs> bench time or is, is he not as good as he thinks he is or like what I just want all our listeners here? to know that we were very reluctant to talk about this segment because we we're very against the NBA All-Star game. But, this but game shouldn't even it happen. is trending news. Uh, yeah, you know, the problem, I love Dame Time, and I think Damian Lillard is very, very talented and very good player, but it's like, who is he going to start over, right? That's really the problem. It's They're just so, they're just so, they're so deep. And, uh, you know, I have actually more of a problem with the snub of Devin Booker. I mean, Devin Booker was lucky that he was able to make it on the team because Anthony Davis um, is not going to be able to play. But you got Zion Williamson making it over Devin Booker. Devin Booker's team is in fourth place. He's averaging like 26 points a game. Devin Booker got uh, didn't make the team and Zach Levine did like Who's who's doing these votes? Like, what's going on there? Uh, is it like baseball now, where every team needs to be represented? I think, I'm just throwing. Well, I think Zion made know. it because he's, you know, he's kind of like the face of this year's, um, you know, the he's 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 the face of last year's rookie class essentially. But 
Zach Levine, man. Right. I mean, so and Chris Paul, Devin Booker didn't. Well, I mean, he's there for the he's there for the Devin dunk Booker contest, didn't though. even make it over Chris Paul. Chris Paul's on his team. No. So, you know, I, as much as I think Dame Lillard is, you know, a prime time player and an, an upper echelon player, it's just it's just hard to find a player for him to start over. Like he's not going to start over Steph Curry, right? I mean, he, he so it's it's just kind of hard to find a place where he where he can actually uh, fit in. I mean, the one argument maybe would be Luka Doncic. I mean, he has one – he's averaging one more point than Luka, but Luka's got him on the assists. So it's like one of those things. And you don't want to start three guards. I mean, you could put – you can take Kawhi Leonard out and have Kawhi come off the bench. But then you're like, I don't know. It's a murky situation. The All-Star Game is just a TV show anyway. So nobody should really be getting that bent out of shape about these things. But, I was surprised um, Bradley you know, Beal was named a starter. I, I was also surprised Kyrie Irving was named a starter over James Harden. Like, Harden's coming off the bench. Like, what is going on? Harden's, like, the the best. He's the best player on the Nets right now as far as distributing the basketball, playing defense, and scoring. Like, he does it all. Yeah. I mean, Bradley Beal is shooting 48% from, from the field, and he's averaging close team, to 33. His team is like in, so I can see his why team is like in 13th team. place, though. I can see why he's on the I can see why he's on the team. I don't necessarily agree that he should be right. starting. But I mean, he definitely has a place on the team. But if you start if you were to start Harden and, and Kyrie, I wouldn't be upset about it because the game shouldn't be happening in the first yeah, place. Right. <laughs> so that's you know, I can't really get I can't get that worked up about it. So it's you know, good for you guys. Congratulations. You're gonna be part of an, a controversial game. And the uh, funny part is, is they're even when they're advertising now, they're even touting it as an exhibition uh, exhibition game where, you know, was it baseball used to go and this time it counts, you know, and we're looking for bragging rights and things like that. No, no, right. they're pretty much openly said this is an expedition. The mayor of Atlanta doesn't want anybody going down there. No one doesn't want anybody celebrating it. It's just like, what a waste of time. Well, fortunately for the NBA, their all-star game never ended in a tie. That's the reason. I mean, that's the only reason why, you know, the overreaction and course correction that makes Rob Manford blush was that, you know, because there was a tie, now we have to have a, a complete overreaction to that situation. And now the home field advantage in the World Series. Can you imagine if the home court advantage in the NBA Finals rested on the result yeah. of the all-star game like that just sounds preposterous doesn't it but for a while for a while major league baseball said that's a <laughs> great idea i'm getting hungry over here should have cooked up some dinner and if you're looking for a new cooking show to binge, check out As You Eat It on YouTube, hosted by me, Chef Z. I invite you into my home and show you what and how I cook when I'm off the clock as a chef instructor. You're going to learn fun recipes and creative methods to empower and inspire you in the kitchen and take it to the next level. Cook how you want to cook, eat how you want to eat, eat as you eat it. That's As You Eat It, available only on YouTube. A-Z, you eat it. Check it out, and let's get cooking. 
know who else <laughs> thought something was a great idea? The NHL decided that they were going to have their games in Lake Tahoe. So they had two games over the weekend in Lake Tahoe. And granted, visually, it was beautiful. It, it was amazing. You had the mountains, you had the lake, you had the trees. It was, it was like something, it was picturesque. The problem was nobody told the sun. So what happened was the game had to be delayed until midnight. They got one period in of the game. And then it's like, no, this is too slushy. We need to wait eight hours. The puck did not drop until midnight Eastern time for the second period. It was just a warm-up. Who was to blame for Yeah, there's the warm-up. Yeah, exactly. I got my got my eight hours in. I'm good to go. Let's just make this happen. So are they gonna go back? And who is the your buddy blame Gary Bettman? It's your buddy. Boom. Uh, I really thought it was a disaster. I mean, a lot. I think a lot of people are trying to sugarcoat this and make it seem not as bad as it was. Even the players were nice and saying, oh, you know, we were doing the best that we could and we just wanted to go out there and play. We went back to the hotel. We all ate, took a nap, and then came back and got ready and played the next two periods. But, I mean, they're really lucky nobody got hurt. I mean, the ice looked, the ice looked terrible. No, and it was turning to slush. Everyone's falling. Lucky nobody was on a breakaway and tore up their knee. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Landeskog ate it. Uh, I think you had a couple of players from the Golden Knights. The refs. The refs were all over the place. It. Oh, my God. It, looks t- it was just a bad look all the way around. And you were just – like, it was amazing how much slush was coming off that ice. And, I mean, I don't remember if you remember the game. It was, I think, 1991 or 1992, the Rangers and Kings played an exhibition in the parking lot of Caesars Palace, basically. So they they put up a rink outdoors in January. I mean, it was hotter than hell and similar situations. So you need to correct these kind of things. You need to look at a forecast and say, hey, it might be a little too hot well, for ice. Or we need to have the yeah we need to have like something pumped underneath something to keep it going. But you know, the sun <laughs> delay is just I mean it's just it's we just insane. get away from I'm the sun. Sorry. No shit, Gary. It comes up between six a.m. and four <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, no, I mean listen, it was it it was but it's it was it was listen it was picturesque. It really was it was breathtakingly beautiful at some points, but and it's cool to play cocky outside i think it's really it's different i get it but guys stick to cold weather cities like come on like let's stay out of florida let's stay out of arizona let's stay out of california let's keep the winter classic in cold weather cities for this charade and that's what it is it's a charade they learned their lesson with the first game because in the second game they're like all right we're gonna start just at 4 30 <laughs> we're not gonna start in we're not gonna start in you know, early in the afternoon. So, uh, I just, I, I feel lucky nobody got hurt. That's what I took away from it. No, absolutely. Because that would have been a nightmare scenario if one of their best players in the league, Gabriel Landeskog, just blew out his knee entirely and wrecked the Colorado Avalanche's I, chances of going for the Stanley Cup. Or, God forbid, anybody on the Golden Knights or, and you know, 
I just I think they're also lucky because the players were so uh, on board with it. Like I, 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 at least me, I didn't read any players giving the situation a hard time or giving Gary Bettman a hard time. Like all of them were like, you know, everyone's trying really hard and, you know, we want to go out there and play like Bravo to the PR for both teams who kind of talked their players up because nobody really complained about the situation. I don't know how about the, uh, how the NHLPA felt to get about it, but I think if this was major league baseball or the NFL, Oh man, they would have lost their shit. I think they were just happy that they were able to get out of it in one piece. Totally. Speaking of teams not being able to get out of it in one piece, Seattle Mariners CEO Kevin Mather resigned after a horrendous 45-minute local Rotary Club interview that uh, turned into somewhat of a dumpster fire (laughs) where he disparaged a Japanese pitcher for not learning English, belittled his star prospect for being lazy, um, he pretty much put out his team strategy that they're not going to call up their best prospects to ensure that they don't accrue the, the necessary service time to become free agents faster. Uh, yeah, it's just not a great day for Kevin. Actually, it wasn't even a great day. It was 45 minutes long. Not a great 45 minutes for Kevin Mather. But um, is this part of Major League Baseball's reckoning continuing or are people just pissed off because yeah I don't know we were talking in the production meeting I I watched the video I kind of had mixed feelings about it I talked to a buddy of mine who uh, actually is a beat writer for the Mariners and he was like you know this was two years in the making this guy's a clown uh he got what he deserved on this one uh you know I feel like he was just being absurdly honest with certain things, which was a bad thing. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if he thought this call was in confidence and I don't know why he decided to open up on so many things as far as like where his staff parks and the interpreters for players on his team. Come find <laughs> Just, me, bro. Come I don't know why he would talk about such things. And you know, when he was talking about the player's clock, I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, and, and it's, it's, Everybody knows it, and that's kind of why the players' union is really going to go to town with the owners come, you know, December because you're messing with somebody's money, you're messing with somebody's livelihood. Kalenic wants to bet on himself, and you know he does those six-year and seven-year options. He thinks are disrespectful. You know, maybe maybe you shouldn't talk about that to your Rotary Club, but I think he's being truthful about it. Uh, So you know, you interview these people all the time and. You kind of want to write about, you know, different things they say. You don't want them to give the PC answer. This is a guy that was being brutal, brutally honest on very controversial subjects, and now he's going to have to pay for it. He lost his job. Mariners are a terrible organization, it seems. They haven't, I think, made the playoffs in, like, something like 20 years. I don't know how true that stat was, but I think one of the, one of the North American teams that hasn't made the playoffs in a really, really long time. Uh <laughs> And he was, you know, pouting his chest about about how they have the lowest payroll, which I thought was hilarious too. But I mean, this guy's a clown, and I, I guess it was good that he he's gone now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they uh, that stat is right about the Mariners because they set wins. the record and for then they most never won again, right? Wins in a season, <laughs> and then and then they got. Uh, Escorted yeah. out of the playoffs by the Yankees. And that was the last time, so, right? That was that Brett Boone team, I think, far, right? I mean, 
Yeah. I mean, that was a loaded team. You had Ichiro, you had Mike Cameron, you had you still had Randy Johnson. No, you didn't have Randy Johnson there. I think you, that was A-Rod's last year. I think you still had Buner. So you had a loaded-ass team. And, yeah, just, like, that was it. Like, they were always, like, the little engine that could, though. They had, a, they had great teams but could never get over the hump. Like, they, if the Indians didn't win that World Series – they would be looked in the same light, in my opinion, those mid-90s Indian teams. But as far as what this guy did, all he did was really expose what is going on in the back rooms of your favorite baseball team. Actually, your favorite sports team in general. If they can avoid paying high-quality talent, they're going to do it. If they're going to delay it, they're going to do it. I think it's just that he got caught. It was like a Bond movie, like I said in our production meeting. Like that that annoying scene in every James Bond movie when the villain just elaborates on the whole plan and spells it out for you like you're some kind of fucking idiot. But this is exactly what it was. Like, yeah, we're doing it on purpose. Oh, but wouldn't you? If you can delay paying these guys? Absolutely. Where you lost me. Whereas when you start talking about the Japanese player and your Dominican prospect and how they, they're, well, they don't want to learn English and I don't want to pay an interpreter. And like, dude, like, I'm just going to get your shovel because you're just digging and you're just going to keep digging. And yeah, he dug his, as soon out. as he said that he was done, but he decided to keep going. I, I think he probably, he probably knew it too. So he's like, shit, I'm just going out. Like I'm just gonna light every bridge on the fire. Only no the only thing missing, the only thing missing from that call was Here him cracking go. open a beer and doing a Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> and that's the bottom line. If you think we're gonna finish in last place, <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Uh, but that is the bottom line. This is the dirty little secret that your Major League Baseball teams don't want you to know. Yes, they're trying to control the service time of their minor league talent. Why? Because they don't like writing those $300 million checks. Regardless of what the organization says, they're, they're not happy to pay Fernando Tatis $340 million. No, of course not. But better to do it now to when he becomes a $500 million man or $600 million man. Because they always go up. The costs always go up. The price tags always go up. So lock them in now. It's a great strategy. Just don't be so open about it. Order up. You asked for it, and now we're going to give it to you. We're going to order up the best rotations in the major leagues, starting from five, going all the way up. So at one. number five, I right? have a little bit of surprise. I have the Cincinnati Reds uh, with Sonny Gray, Mile Wiley, Miley Hoffman. I think they're going to surprise some people. The Reds were a good team uh, the last couple of years, and I, I think this rotation is going to help them uh, put them over the top. At number four, I actually have the Padres with Snell, Paddock, Darvish, Lament, Gore, and Clevenger. And then at three, I have the Braves with Soroka, Morton, Fried, Anderson, and Smiley. At number two, I have the Mets with DeGrom, Carrasco, Syndergaard, Stroman, and Walker. And then number one, it's uh, no surprise to anybody. I have Kershaw, Price, Bueller, Bauer, May, 
for crying out loud. I don't think anybody's going to score any runs on them. A fine list to be had. Absolutely. All National so, League, by the way. <laughs> but uh, for me, yeah, all National League. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, there are some American League teams that we are leaving out as honorable mentions. But, uh, you know, you need to have at least three good pitchers for me to, to put you on this list. Four, I'm going to bump you up a little bit more. And I'm actually going to leave out guys who are injured. So guys like Soroka and Clevenger. And if their rotations are – and Noah Syndergaard, by the way. And um, if your rotation is still able to kind of like stand on its own two feet, then by all means, you're getting moved up the board. And number five, I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds that you have three – you're three deep. Sonny Gray has proven that he was not the flop he was in New York. Luis Castillo is a stud. Wade Miley is a solid number three. If Lorenzen can actually translate out of the bullpen and into the rotation, that's dangerous. So that is definitely a guy that I am interested in seeing in more than one inning. So we're going to take the Reds at number five. Number four, I'm Whoa. also gonna I'm gonna go with the Dodgers, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, David Price, I have no faith in. Never have, never will. Never liked him. Not a great pitcher, in my opinion. Dustin May, he was okay. He wasn't great. Wasn't anything to write home about. Trevor Bauer, and I'm not just saying this because he didn't sign with the Mets. Trevor Bauer has had one good season. Everything else has been okay. Let's not. Blow. I mean, if you really do the statistical deep dive, he was he's okay. Kershaw, he's at the tail end of his career. And then Bueller, to me, is the only stud, true stud they have. Bauer's on a little bit of a prove it, but last year, won the Cy Young. Weird-ass season. Like, So really, for me, it's like two and a half pitchers. So the Dodgers are going to be number four. Number three, I'm bullish on the Atlanta Braves. I really like what they've done. Ian Anderson's a really good pitcher. Max Breed is really good. Drew Smiley is solid. Charlie Morton is definitely going to give them the veteran anchor on this in this rotation. So I think they're going to continue their upward trend. Number two, the San Diego Padres. Lamette is a question mark. Clevenger is a question mark. But you're still left with Darvish, Snell, Paddock. And if they decide to bring Mackenzie Gore up, A.J. Preller's been playing that Seattle Mariner game with Mackenzie Gore. But he also hasn't been including him in trade rumors. He's untouchable, but he's also unable to crack the major league roster. So I find that very interesting. That being said, Darvish, Snell, Paddock, and whatever you get from the rest of the guys, that's pretty damn solid. And then number one, wow, of course, the New York Mets. DeGrom, Carrasco, Taiwan Walker is, is solid. David Peterson very, was, had a very good rookie season. If he could build on that, if Marcus Stroman could keep his head on straight and actually be on the field, that could be a very good one. That could be a very good addition. So I think the New York Mets, and then Syndergaard's coming back in June or July, you definitely have a lot of depth where no depth used to exist. So with that being said, the New York Mets, for me, the number one rotation in all of baseball. Did you like our order? Do you have a better one? Hit us up. 
faderoutmail at gmail.com with your order or slide in our DMs. IG is Fade Route Podcast. Get at us and tell us if we fucked up or not. Simple as that. Order up. You're not hearing incorrectly. We're doubling up on order up. We're starting our division previews this week, starting with the division of the base, the World Series champion, Los Angeles Dodgers, the National League West. So, from five. Uh, I have uh, number five, I have the Rockies, the Ariendo Les Rockies. Uh, Trevor Story, just uh, Charlie Blackman. Uh, they're probably going to get traded. <laughs> there's, no, there's no pitching on that team in that offensively friendly course field. So I think they're going to finish at number five. I got the Giants. Uh, surprisingly, Buster Posey, I think, is coming back. Uh, Brandon Crawford's a decent player, but they're just not scary anymore. There's nothing to worry about whenever you go play them. I think Cueto is still their, their ace out there, but you know they're, they're beatable. Uh, the D-backs, I have them coming in at number at number uh, number three. Uh, I really think they failed this offseason. They finished 25 and 35 last year. Uh, last season, Madison Gumgardner had a shitty first season in a five-year deal. So he's really going to have to turn this thing around. But, I, uh, there's, again, there's nobody really exciting there. And at two, I have the Padres uh, or the, the, the Tatis. All stars, uh, they're up and coming. You know they've definitely fortified the rotation <laughs> with Snell, Paddock, Darvish, Lament. Uh, they have Machado, Hosmer, very expensive infield. These boys are young and these boys could play. And number one, the defending champs. They're just stacked, man. Uh, Kershaw, Price. We talked about it already. All their pitchers, but then the hitters brought Turner back. Betts is probably one of the top three players in baseball. Uh, MVP Seeger, Bellinger, uh, they're just going to be hard to stop. I agree. It's definitely a two horse race in this division. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough to beat either the Dodgers or the Padres, but we are both in agreement that number five is the Colorado Rockies. Like they've got, I mean, no offense to anybody on the Rockies, no offense to the people, of, the fine people of Denver that watch them play. Herman Marquez is your best pitcher. You have Antonio Sensatella, who's decent. Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman, none of them will be Rockies by the end of the year. So I really don't know what they're doing. And Nolan Arenado didn't know what they were doing, which is why he's now a St. Louis Cardinal. Number four for me is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, I like their offense. They just added his Drupal Cabrera. So I think that the plan is they're going to move Kettle Marte to center field from shortstop. So I think that's what's going to happen with that. But um, the pitching, man, it's just not there. It's Madison Bumgarner and Merrill <laughs> Kelly is your number two. Huh? Like, you need more than that. You need more than that. I'm sorry. Number three, the Giants just by default. Uh, they definitely, they're not as scared. They're not scary anymore. They're absolutely not scary, but they definitely have some, they have Cueto, they have Kevin Gaussman still. 
You still have Crawford. You still have guys on that team. And you definitely you have the you have some pitching that will keep you afloat in the division. Number two for me, this is a tough one. Do you want to go veteran and stacked or do you want to go young and stacked? And I'm going to go young and stacked. I'm going to go with the Padres. I think that last year was a good first step. You now you have to prove you can do it again and not fall back to the pack. So that being said, I think you're going to have a good year from Fernando Tatis. Not going to be a transcendent player. Like he's not going to be on the level of a Trout or a Mookie Betts, but he's definitely going to get the job done. Uh, Machado is going to be Machado. Hosmer is going to be Hosmer, but it really boils down to this rotation. How are Blake Snell and you Darvish going to adjust to being in the National League West? How are they going to adjust to, you know, being on being a part of this team? They're not going to be able to outscore their bad outings. So you kind of need to keep the ball, keep the ball in the ballpark. At the end of the day, pitching still wins you championships. And number one, the reigning defending champion. Dodgers they are a very loaded team like you mentioned around and then you still have guys that can't even crack the team like Gavin Lux is only going to make this team because they lost Kike Hernandez so you're going to have studs one through nine in your lineup and then you're going to have that rotation we're going to see what they're really made of and for me this is a make or break year for Kenley Jansen he needs to prove that he is a legit closer. He needs to prove that he can actually do it all year and help this team repeat as World Series champions. What do you guys think? Hit us up on the gram. Hit us up in our emails. Let us know what you think and give us your orders too. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You can catch our podcast every Wednesday nights on the Anchor, Spotify, or other uh, outlets where you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, stay faded, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Rate us five stars. Leave us a review. Turn on subscription notifications and tell your friends. Spread the word. Spread it wide.